So we may release some more, but I want to get into the word. I want to honor our time tonight. I want to get into word. I, I believe I've got a, a powerful word for this house. And uh, I want to encourage you just to kind of take the journey with me tonight. I'm going to preach fast so we can get to ministry fast. All right. So I want to just put up, if you would please, the theme verse for tonight. Psalms chapter 5, verse 12 says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Amen? Isn't that a great word? How many of you have met someone, I don't know if you know this, but in the South, you know, it's mostly seen in the South. We're, I'm from Tennessee. Come on now. Now, let's, don't talk to me about Tennessee football. Don't even go there right now. Don't even go there right now. We did produce Peyton Manning 20 years ago, but not much since then. But anyway... In the South, you know, and you might hear this, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. How many of you have ever heard that before? Anybody at all? Blessed and highly favored. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, anyway, I'm not preaching like that. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are all blessed and highly favored. We're blessed and highly favored. We're favored by the Lord. The Lord favors us, and he has blessed us with great many precious promises. And we know these precious promises in the Word of God. The Word of God tells us of these precious promises. And you know this verse. You won't see it on the screen, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Look at somebody say, I'm special that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Man, you're special. You're a chosen generation. You're royalty. There, you are so blessed. You are so blessed with the promises of God. Several accounts say that there are over 3,500 promises in the word of God. 3,500 promises in the Word of God. And Dr. Matt said it last week in his message, and I encourage you to listen to Dr. Matt's message if you weren't here last Sunday night. Powerful word. He, he made this statement. He said, God's promises are as powerful as God himself. You need to understand that. Over 3,500 promises in the Word of God, and they're for us. Why? Because we're special because we're special. God has given these great, many precious promises. Let me just touch on a few of them, and you can shout amen with me when you hear it. The Lord my God will be with me wherever I go, Joshua 1, 9. God will keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on him, Isaiah 26, 3. The Lord will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I'm with you always to the end of the age, says the Lord, Matthew 28, 20. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. He cares for me, 1 Peter 5, 7. I will go and do greater things than Jesus did because he went to the Father, John 14, 12. If I remain in him and his words remain in me, whatever I ask, will be given to me, John 15, 7. The Holy Spirit will guide me in all truth, John 16, 3. The Holy Spirit will give me the right words when I need them, Mark chapter 13, verse 11. Even if chaos abounds, 
you will experience perfect peace. Come on, guys. Ezekiel 26, 3, or excuse me, Isaiah 26, 3. I am justified by him freely by his grace, Romans 3, 24. I have peace with God because I have been justified by faith in Jesus, Romans 5, 1. Man, that's just a handful of the promises, over 3,500 promises in the word. Isn't that powerful? That's incredible. So tonight's message is positioned for the promise. Come on. Are you positioned for the promise? Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. Good job, guys. First time I saw that. Like, can y'all take a picture of that? Y'all take a picture of that. Wait, hang on one second. Yeah, I was kidding. It was a joke. It was a joke. Y'all like my new shirt? I got a new shirt tonight. For It's a new... <laughs> Not new pants. These are old pants. Old shoes. Old underwear. <clears throat> Got to be comfortable. Got to be comfortable. <clears throat> I can't believe I went there. Why did I say that? I have no idea. Let me, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the promises of God? I said, do you believe in the promises of God? I said, do you believe in the promises of God? Oh, okay. All right. Calm down. That was loud. Good job. How many of you know about these promises? The promises are in the Word, but how many of you would recognize and agree with me that sometimes we live like we don't know the promises? Why? Because we live in an imperfect world, and sometimes evil in this world prevails. Sometimes bad things happen to good people, and it frustrates us. It, it causes us to be angry. Sometimes bad things happen to us, and we consider ourselves good people. You know, Jesus told us in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that, you, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, God gives people a free will to choose what they will do in this world. And unfortunately, many choose the wrong path. And all of us have found ourselves on that wrong path at one time or another. Maybe we're on that path because of the choices that we made. Maybe we find ourselves on this path as a result of other people making choices before us. How many of you would say, I know about that? We become victims of our own environment. We find our path lost without the promises of God, and we become victims in that environment. And we negate the promises of God. We forget the promises of God. We don't realize the great many precious promises that have been set up for us to help us overcome the evilness of this world, the enemy in this world. We are sons and daughters of the king, and we have been created and intended to be the representation of heaven on the earth. You know, we're not here to establish the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize that? I've heard that preached before. We're actually not here to establish anything. The kingdom of heaven is already established. It is our job as sons and daughters of the king to reveal the kingdom of heaven, 
to unveil the kingdom of heaven. And it's men and women of God who understand the promises, who are walking in the promises that begin to reveal what heaven looks like on the earth. Amen? So we're in this God in Hollywood series, right? And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, a particular movie that I thought would bring about and bring to light this kind of thing where we are finding ourselves alone without the promises of God, but yet God is making himself available in every way that he can for us to see it. And I landed on a particular movie, Bruce Almighty. How many of you know that one? That oldie but a goodie, you know? Jim Carrey, he, play, he plays Bruce Nolan. He doesn't think the world is treating him fairly. How many of you have seen the movie, right? He's a news reporter who keeps getting the worst stories he could ever get. And life just, just doesn't seem to go right for him. The one person he blames the most is God. But when God shows up in person, Bruce finds himself taking on God's responsibilities. Now his chance is to make life perfect in his mind. But as he enjoys his newfound powers, he starts to mistreat things that matter to him most. When chaos ensues, Bruce finally finds himself surrendering to God's will. How many of you have seen that movie? Yeah. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to look at it. <laughs> oh, it's a great movie. Here's, the, here's the, the, the emphasis and the point that I'm trying to make is that God himself came down as Morgan Freeman. Can I get a witness on that? I'm kidding, but God came down and manifested himself in front of Bruce Nolan, and he was communicating to God. But even then, Bruce Nolan couldn't get himself out of his own pity he couldn't get himself out of his own pathway. He couldn't get himself out of his own area, this territory, this region of where he was to even catch or grasp the fact that God's potential in him was wanting and desiring to be made manifest. Tonight, I want to talk to you about making sure that you are flowing and walking in the promises of God. And I'm going to call you out of that land of no promises tonight. And I want to just encourage you supernaturally to come back into the land of promises. Amen? So I want to share a story with you tonight regarding three specific men. And the story I'm about to share with you uh, encompasses several chapters in the Bible. And I've highlighted a few chapters, but I want to tell you about this story as briefly as I can because I want to get to the point and have plenty of time for ministry. I want to talk to you about David and Jonathan. How many of you know who David and Jonathan are? David was the, uh, is at this point the future king of Israel. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. And Jonathan was a man who loved God, and he loved David. And he recognized David's authority, and he recognized David's call on his life. So we're going to be talking about David and Jonathan, and then we're going to be talking about Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson, a gentleman by the name of Mephibosheth. How many of you have ever heard that name? Oh, some of you. How many of you would be honest and say, I've never heard that name before? Just wave at me. Great, I'm teaching you a little something in the Word tonight. Mephibosheth, okay? So the story goes on to this. 
David's living in the kingdom of Saul and has discovered that Saul has become jealous. If you were here for today's message with Samuel, Pastor Samuel shared with us the revelation of, of this particular story where, where, where Saul was becoming jealous of David's anointing. And, and so it came to the point where David knew that he needed to leave the kingdom. So he goes to Jonathan and says, look, Jonathan, I know we're best friends. Man, I know that you know we love God together, but listen, your daddy wants to get rid of me. I'm going to have to get out of here. And Jonathan was like, I don't want you to go. And there's a little story behind that and an evidence of them going through a process. But finally, Jonathan realizes that he needs to go. And I want you to look at this powerful couple of verses. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 15 and, and uh, 14 and 15. This is Jonathan speaking to David after he realizes that David needs to leave. Jonathan says this, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. David agrees with this commitment and makes a covenant with Jonathan to say, I'm going to preserve your life and your descendants' life. They made a promise together. Well, the story goes on. David leaves. He escapes and goes into hiding. And in, 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 during this time, it's a season of war. And it's a season where all kings go to war. And Saul and his sons were battling the Philistines. How many of you know this story? Uh, Saul and his sons were battling the Philistines, and it comes about where Saul and his sons are killed. And the armor bearer goes up and sees where Saul and his sons are killed, and that's where the scripture tells us that even the armor bearer fell on the sword and killed himself. And this was a really sad day. It was an incredibly sad day. Now I want to highlight Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. Mephibosheth, the grandson of King Saul, was in the palace. He had the privilege of the palace. He had his own nurse. He had his own nanny. He was taken care of. He was a king's kid. Come on, can I get a witness on that? He was a king's kid, and he had all the privileges of the kingdom. But what they did back then was when a king lost or a king died and a new king took his place, they would kill the entire descendant generation of the existing king. And the reason why they did that is so that there would be no more uprising from that king's lineage towards the new king. So in haste, Mephibosheth's nurse runs to hide Mephibosheth. And in the process of her running away, she drops Mephibosheth and he breaks his legs. And he's lame to this day, Scripture says. So whatever happened, however she dropped him or something fell on him, his legs were broken. And as she's escaping, she decides to take him to an area in a region called Lodabar. And Lodabar was where he remained until David became king. I want to talk to you about Lodabar tonight. I find it very, very interesting that the word Lodabar has a very powerful 
uh, definition, a very powerful meaning, and it may mean something to, uh, to us tonight. So we're taking something physical, and we're bringing it into the spiritual. Lodabar literally means the place of nothing. The place of nothing. Further translated, it means no pasture, no word, no communication. Mephibosheth was in Lodabar. He was in a nothing, nowhere town with no pasture, no communication, and no word. When we do not recognize the promises of God and we allow life's circumstances to overwhelm us, we can take a little journey to Lodabar. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't want you to be in Lodabar. He has no desire for you to live in Lodabar. He's calling you out of Lodabar into his promises. Amen? So fast forward. Mephibosheth is in Lodabar, and David has taken the journey. David is walking out his promises. David is taking a very difficult journey. If you know the story of David and how he emerges to be king, he's the worshiping warrior. Can I get a witness, worship people? He's the worshiping warrior. He's a fighter. And he's taking the journey. He goes through Adullam. He goes through Ziglag. And he becomes the king of Israel. And then he becomes the king of Judah, which is modern day, which, which is Jerusalem. And there's tremendous favor on his life, and he emerges as king. And he's sitting on his throne one day, and he looks around, and he remembers the promise he gave to Jonathan. And he looks out, and he says to his servants, he says, is there anyone that is still alive from Jonathan's descendants I want to make right on a promise. And a servant says, yes, there is someone. The dude's name is Mephibosheth. He's got a weird, funky name, but he lives in an area called Lodabar. And David says, get Mephibosheth out of Lodabar and bring him to me. And this is where we pick this up. I did a good job explaining 19 chapters in about five minutes. Come on, can I get away with this? So here we go. They go to get Mephibosheth, right? Scripture says that Mephibosheth's a hot mess. Can I get a witness? Is anybody a hot mess tonight? Mephibosheth is a hot mess. The Bible says that he didn't care for his feet at all during this entire time. That means his toenails grew out long. Scripture says that there was no blade that was put on his mustache or beard. Scripture says that he was wearing, listen to this, the same tattered clothes as the day he escaped. What was happening to Mephibosheth? He became a product of his environment. He became what his environment represented. Ooh, come on, friends. But David said, get him out of Lodabar. Get him out of Lodabar. Bring him to me. And we pick this up. 
David says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you. I felt that. I just felt that in the spirit. God is restoring to you what the enemy has taken away. I just felt that right there. He's bringing restoration to some of you right now tonight. David says, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. He goes from Lodabar, from nothing, from no word, no communication, no pastor, a nothing, nowhere town, and in an instant, he's sitting at the table with a king. But I want you to listen to his response. I didn't give this to the guy, so you have to trust me here. 2 Samuel 9, verse 8. Then he bowed himself, this is Mephibosheth, and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He was so defeated. He was so discouraged. He was in so much pain. He was abandoned, isolated, centered around his atmosphere that he compared himself like a dog. But David said to him, you will eat at my table tonight. You will be with me. And David restored everything to Mephibosheth because of a promise of a promise, one promise, one commitment. Mephibosheth was not responsible for King Saul's jealousy. He was not responsible. He had nothing to do with the war. He had nothing to do. It wasn't his fault that his own father died in battle, that Jonathan died in battle. It wasn't his fault that his nurse escaping drops him. It wasn't his fault but he was the recipient of all the pain. Come on, friends. We find ourselves victimized sometimes with our issues and our circumstances, but I'm here to tell you tonight, God is calling you to his table, and he's calling you out, and he's saying, do not believe the manipulative lies of the enemy. Do not walk in the manipulative lies of the enemy. He's calling you out of Lodabar tonight. I want to share something with you. Cheryl and I are challenged right now in dealing with something that, that uh, has, has been in my life since I was born. I was born with a disease in my eyes called X-linked juvenile retinoschisis. Real fancy word to really tell you that I've been legally blind in my right eye since birth. And my left eye has been my, pretty much my predominant eye. And as a result of, of this disease... This disease is growing in my eyes and causing me to lose vision in my predominant eye. And I'm telling you, friends, it's a, it's a big challenge right now. It truly is. Right now, I can't legally drive a car. And over 50% of my business is driving a car. And so I'm dealing with this massive, massive challenge. But how many of you know God is bigger than my circumstance? <clears throat> If I'm not, go ahead.
if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, I will take a journey to Lodabar. If I'm not careful, I'll miss what God wants to do in my life. I want to give you just a few steps that will help us get out of Lodabar. Number one, I want you to remember that in that God is certain in your uncertainty. Come on. What do they say? The only thing consistent in life is change, right? But Jesus never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is certain in your uncertainty. Number two, when it's out of your control, trust God and wait on him. There's a journey that many of us are taking. We don't see the macro view. The enemy wants us to focus on the micro view. He wants us to see what the immediate is, what we can see right in front of us. But God's perspective, it's much higher than ours. We need to trust God and wait on him. In this process, I want you to understand the power of maintaining a soft heart. Don't allow your heart to be hardened tonight. Break out of Lodabar and get embraced into the things of God. Find yourself in the river of God. Maintain a soft heart. Come on, friends. We've got to maintain that soft heart. I was, I was talking with, uh, with uh, 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 I had a situation a few months ago where I was dealing with some massive challenges. It was pretty tough. And I wasn't handling them very well. And a dear friend of mine called me up one day, and he said to me, he's here tonight, he said to me, hey, Tim, I need to talk to you about something. And uh, I said, yeah, what's going on? And he said, hey, I need to talk to you about your attitude. And I said, what? And he's, he taught me a word that I didn't know what it was. He said, he said, you're being a little snarky. I said, what does that mean? And he says, well, it's a sarcastic smart butt. But he didn't use the word buts. I'm just telling you right now. He kind of confronted. He did it in love. He said, Tim, this is not you. This is not how you normally respond. And I'm telling you, this stuff needs to be shifted in your life. I was dead silent on the phone. Dead silent. I was like, okay. Uh, I just need to hang up right now. And uh, I'll call you later. He's like, okay. And I hung up on him. <laughs> it's David. David Lujan. He's right there. <laughs> Sorry, I called you out, bro. So if he ever says you're snarky, you better listen to the man, okay? So immediately I called my wife, who's my support, who's my friend, who I've known over half of my life. I've known her for 30 years, been married to her 27 years. I said, Cheryl, yeah, come on, can I get a witness on that? <clears throat> thank you, thank you. Thank you, the hunters are here tonight. They're strong advocates of marriage. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. So I said, baby, you're not going to believe what David Lujan just said to me on the phone. She's like, what? And I'm like, he said I was snarky. She goes, what does that mean? I said, a sarcastic smart, you know what? And I said, do you see that? Do you recognize that? And Cheryl, being my loving, supportive, caring wife, says, yes, actually. And she pointed out three or four things in the previous two days that I had done, and she said, she said, you probably ought to work on that. <laughs> Guys, we've got to maintain a soft heart. 
We've got to understand that, account, that accountability is important. It's significant. We need it. We need that. Accountability continues our heart, allows our hearts to be softened. We need to understand that. We've got to maintain a soft heart. I know that the promise doesn't seem real to some of you tonight. I recognize that some of you are dealing with the most significant pain you've ever dealt with in your life. But I'm here to tell you, God knows your issue. He's aware of your circumstance. Your responsibility is to wait and to trust and to be flexible, to be moldable, to be shapeable. Accountability changes, stretches us. It's like God's a size 18 and we're a size 9, and he's stretching us. We've got to be able to say yes. We've got to be able to say yes. You maintain a soft heart by getting into a community that's going somewhere. Listen, you can't have vision for yourself, men, if you're hanging out with men who have no vision for themselves. You've got men. You've got to be around men of vision. Women of God, you can't break through if all you're doing is hanging out with women who don't break through on their own. We've got to find that community. That's how we maintain a soft heart. I'm almost finished. Guys, we've got to reject unbelief. Maintain a soft heart. We've got to reject unbelief. Unbelief is rejected by knowing God's will. Scripture tells us, Romans 10, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Listen to me. Facts and the final word are sometimes two very different things. The fact is, is yeah, I am dealing with juvenile retinoschisis, but the doctors don't have the final word for my life. They don't have the final word. They don't know the final word. They're not God. They don't know. They're not aware. So what do I do? I reject unbelief, and I stand on the truth that my Creator knows my need and will help me break through. And I've got to be honest with you. I don't care about the result, friend. I, I Really, you may not believe that, but I could care less about the results. All I care about is pleasing my God. All I care about is having the peace of the Father. All that I care about is knowing that my God is in control. And if these little eyeballs never see again, I'll be just fine. Because the final word is that my God will sustain me. I will not allow my head to go to Lodabar. I'm not going to Lodabar. I've been there. It's not productive. And tonight, God is calling you, some of you, out of Lodabar. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 